You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. So I was getting ready to uh, do this podcast when I happened to go on Twitter and I saw, well, I guess I, these days the kids would call it a tweet storm, a tweet storm from Hillary Clinton. She's, um, she's raking Trump over the coals for his foundation. Yes, his foundation. Seriously, his, his foundation. That's what, no, his foundation. That's the one that's the problem. You know, I'm no, I'm no, as, as, as everyone knows, I think I'm no uh, Trump guy, but, but come on, you read these tweets and um, at first you think, man, this woman is not only physically sick, but she's insane. She's senile, maybe she's, <clears throat> she's talking to herself. So just look at what she's saying. Um, she says, there's a bunch of tweets directed at Trump. She says, will you sever ties with your company linked to foreign leaders, questionable organizations, and criminals if you become president? Will you sever ties with your company linked to foreign leaders, questionable organizations, and criminals? How will you handle non-cancelable contractual obligations with parties whose interests conflict with those of the United States? How will you confirm that you do not have dangerous financial ties to bad actors abroad? And then here's a real whopper. To what extent would your foreign policy be dictated by potential financial benefits for your business partners? (laughs) This woman, I mean, this woman, this woman, what can I say? What can I say besides this woman? Or that woman. That was one funny thing to come out of uh, a revelation, to come out of the DNC leaks, the, the, the latest round of DNC leaks. Um, well, we know the Clintons hate the Obamas and vice versa. We've known that for a long time. But apparently, Clinton, the Clintons call Obama that man. They won't even say his name. They won't say Obama. They say that man. That man. So we have that man and that woman in this case. There were, there were a lot more uh, in those leaks, like, like confirmation of uh, a very blatant pay-to-play scheme. And it's interesting that Clinton comes out with these tweets directing all of these um, accusations at Trump on the very day when we get more DNC leaks confirming that she did exactly what she's accusing Trump of doing, but on a larger scale. You know, the DNC awarded ambassadorships uh, and so on to its top donors. Just corruption, illegality, criminality. And the media, well, the media doesn't care, of course. We know that. One thing that jumped out at me, though, from the leaks, um, there's, I don't have it in front of me, but there's an email that I read where someone is uh, literally asking about, uh, explicitly asking, referring to the pay-to-play deal, quote-unquote. That's, that's what the email actually says. 
pay to play. That exact phrase. They say pay to play. And honestly, I had no idea that corrupt, nefarious government officials actually used phrases like that when they're talking to each other and making their deals. Making their secret criminal deals. I didn't think they would say, hey, um, so do you want to make a secret criminal deal? What do you think about that? Let's, let's, let's get together in secret and make a deal uh, that would be illegal. I didn't think they actually came out and said that. It's as if Clinton had, had sent an email to someone and said, uh, yeah, you can be ambassador as soon as you send that bribe over. Okay? Hey, you remember that bribe? I'm going to need that bribe. All right? Let's, let's get the bribe. And then once I get the bribe, if I didn't mention the bribe, if you give me the bribe, then, then we can do this thing that's illegal, by the way. But we could do the thing that's illegal if you give me the bribe. I guess I thought they'd just be a little more discreet and euphemistic than that. I just, I kind of figured, I just, I've never been involved in a backroom deal of this nature. I've never conducted one, been there for one. I would like to be there for one. That would be kind of interesting. But I never have, uh, so I just have these assumptions and I thought that there'd be a lot of euphemism. But I guess you're only discreet and euphemistic if you actually think the law applies to you. These people don't, clearly. So I guess it's like if you have two bank robbers who actually think that the law doesn't apply to them, that they really are actually above the law, then you might hear them sitting at a coffee shop and saying, hey, do you want to talk about our plan to rob that bank tomorrow? You might do that if they think that the, you know, if they imagine that no matter what happens, they won't be arrested. But of course, for them, they're just lowly bank robbers. So the law does apply to them and they will be arrested. Hillary Clinton uh, assumed that she was above the law and it turns out that she was absolutely correct in her assumptions. She really went out of her way to test the theory and it turns out that uh, her theory is, can be confirmed. Her hypothesis can be confirmed. She is above the law. All right. Anyway, I had something else I wanted to get into uh, before I saw all this this morning. Topic of this podcast. I was going over Trump's new policy proposal meant to uh, stir up some women voters and he's calling it his child care affordability plan or something like that and the plan would allow some deductions for homes with children child care deductions so they can pay for daycare or what have you and that part i'm fine with personally i mean i know some people have issues with it but i i'm in favor of deductions that because that's your own money so the way i see it if it's your own money that you're keeping, then, you know, fine. What, what am I going to say? It's your own money. And I know deductions are not given out perhaps equally or whatever. Um, but if someone is keeping their own money, the money they earned themselves, they're keeping it in their account, in their wallet, I won't complain. Because that's, I, that's not nanny statism as far as I can tell. Because I'm of the radical opinion that your money belongs to you. So... Uh, it's just like when I, when I hear about a rich person who hires a, a fancy accountant so they can take advantage of all the deductions or the so-called loopholes, they call them. I hear about that and everyone gets really upset. Yeah, pay your fair share. But I say good for them. Good for them. It's their money. Isn't it? So, hey, go, good, good for you. Go for it. These rich folks are still paying more than the rest of us in taxes. Maybe not percentage-wise, you, you might argue. But they're still paying more than the rest of us. If they can keep their money, then I say fine. I believe in caring for the less fortunate. Um, 
doing all these things that the government pretends it wants to do, pretends it needs to take your money in order to do. So I believe in doing that, but I'll tell you what, let me decide. If I have a cause that I care about, and I do, plenty of causes, let me give them my money. Let me do it. I'll do it. It's mine, okay? I'll do it. No, I don't need your help. I'll do it. If there's somebody in the community that uh, needs help, then let me let me handle it. I don't need you to come in and take my money and you know keep a portion for yourself, give some to them. I don't need all that. They don't need that. Nobody actually needs that. People have been bred to need it, have been uh, conditioned, I guess is the word, to need it, feel like they need it, but they actually don't. So the deduction part I'm fine with. But next Trump uh, gets into, you know, he wants to provide, wants to mandate federally that female workers get six weeks paid maternity leave. Mandatory, six weeks paid. And this historically is a Democrat kind of proposal. It's a nanny state policy. It's the government telling the free market, you have to do this, you have to provide this. And I couldn't be more against it. And conservatives couldn't have been more against it up until today. In fact, it's been kind of funny to watch on Twitter as the, um, or just watch on, on TV. I, you know, I, I say funny, but there are a lot of other words I could, less positive words I could use. But when you're seeing these various conservatives like uh, Laura Ingram or Sean Hannity, you know, the usual suspects. And now all of a sudden they've discovered that, well, maybe, maybe mandatory paid maternity leave is actually a good idea. And they discover this all of a sudden, out of nowhere. Coincidentally, at the exact time that Trump announces policy, when they've been on the record, all of them really recently, because this is something that Bernie Sanders talked about a lot, they're on the record very recently saying, ridiculing this idea, ridiculing it. And now they're saying, you know, there might be something to it, actually. It's kind of, you know, maybe it's a good idea. And this goes back to, I've said this a million times. I don't know. I, I don't think I could be more clear about it. But the whole lesser of two evils thing between Trump and, and Hillary, I've got my practical problems with that, my philosophical problems. We can argue about it. Philosophically and practically, I don't think it's the right strategy. However, as I've said a million times, make it a million and one now, if you are looking at it, agonizing over the decisions and deciding with uh, great pain and reluctance that you know you got to vote for Trump regardless of all these things, in order to stop Hillary, I get it. I respect it. I get it. Um, it. It's, you know, I understand. I understand the argument. It's not a terrible argument. I, I don't think it's, I think there's some serious flaws in the argument, as I've outlined in the past. I won't get into again right now. But I get all that. So we're not discussing, so, you know, someone who right now is, well, I'm voting for Trump. Yeah, I get it. But as I've said all along, what we cannot do, no matter who you're voting for, okay? Put that completely to the side. No matter who you're voting for, we cannot just change all of our beliefs, all of our positions to suit this politician. We can't do that. And if we do that, then that's the part I don't respect. I can't respect somebody who does that can't respect it it's impossible to respect this is a person who's impossible to respect you know at least you cannot respect their intelligence or their integrity or their character 
to start modifying and calibrating, modulating your beliefs based on what the party says or what politicians say. And this is one of the things that conservatives for ever, as long as I can remember, as long as I've been conscious and alive, this is one of the things conservatives have been railing against. Principle, principle, values, beliefs, so on and so forth. And now so many are just saying, yeah, forget all that. And I'm not saying that they're saying forget it because they're voting for Trump. Because as I said, at this point, although I don't agree, at this point, you can maintain your belief system and still vote for him because you figure, well, there's just no good option. But I'm talking about the people who are coming out and saying, oh, yeah, Trump is actually right about all this stuff that up until 18 seconds ago I disagreed with. That's different. That's different from saying... I, disagree, I still disagree with all these things he's saying, and I think he's wrong, and here's why, but I'm going to vote for X, Y, Z. There's a total, two totally different approaches. One is a respectable approach. The other is not remotely respectable. So on the maternity leave thing, so that's just, now I want to just talk about the issue itself, just because I think it's interesting. Don't get me wrong. I think maternity leave is great. Um, my wife is pregnant. She'll be you know, having a baby in a couple months. She doesn't, she works... She's a stay-at-home mom, so uh, the maternity leave is not relevant to us. But I think it's a good idea. But we need to let the employers decide what they can do. That's what it comes down to. And if employers are able to provide maternity leave, then I think fantastic, but not all employers can. Because you think about what this means. Uh, six, six weeks, let's say, paid maternity leave. So a woman is leaving the job, and I get she's got a great reason to leave the job, and I think it's Having a baby is a great thing. Staying home with the baby uh, in those first few months or even permanently is a great thing. So everything is great. It's all great. Great, great, great. Fine. Good. Okay. However, a job, depending on their financial situation, depending on what kind of job it is, they may look at the situation and say, we cannot afford to pay someone to not do the job for six weeks on top of hiring someone to take her place or training and, uh, and equipping other employees to do what she was doing on top of their other duties. That's, there are a lot of, there's a lot of money and resources that goes into that. You know, when someone leaves for six weeks and says they're not going to do their job for six weeks, depending on the job, Man, look, there might be jobs, office jobs, cubicle jobs, where frankly, like half of the people in the office could, could not show up for six months and it, it, things would still be work kind of okay. Those kinds of jobs exist. But they're also the kind of jobs where if you leave your position, uh, it's, it's a position that still needs to be done and someone else has got to have to be brought in to do it. It's not a job that could be absorbed by everybody else. It's like someone's got to do this specific job just as you were doing so well. Someone has to do it. So if you leave and we have to pay you, that means we gotta, we're paying you. And now we're paying not only this other person's salary temporarily, but uh, we're also paying to train them and equip them. And then what do we do once you come back? What do we do with them? Do they get fired? Is it, I mean, are they a temporary employee? But, but depending on the job, it, it might not be a kind of job where you can really get a temporary employee. So that's the issue. A lot of jobs say, well, we can work around it. We can figure it out. 
and it's worth it to us because uh, it helps us to equip or to to uh, recruit top candidates because this is the kind of thing that people want in maternity leave, obviously. But you might have jobs who say, we just can't do it. It's not there. It's not feasible. To have, the fe- to have the federal government come in and say, you have to do it anyway, regardless. Well, that's disastrous. I mean, it's stupid. It's disastrous. And on what basis? On what basis? You know, what, what's, 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 the, what's the basis for this? That this person has a right? I mean, does a woman have an actual God-given right to leave her job to stay home with the child for six weeks and get paid and then have the job available for her at the end of the six weeks. Is that a God-given right ingrained in our nature as human beings? No, of course not. So the government has no role, federal government especially has no role in getting involved with that or protecting that right that doesn't exist. But Trump used one phrase uh, to justify all this, and it's a phrase that I, that, I, that I hate hearing and I wanted to address. I hate hearing it from politicians anyway. He's talking about families and women and children, and he says, um, these are the people we need to take care of. We need to take care of. Well, here's the thing about that. No. False. If we, if by we you mean federal government, then no, we do not need we to take care of them we don't i don't look i'm part of we right i'm not a woman but uh or though i could be you know if i identify as one i'm not a woman but i'm a family man okay trump says families need to be taken care of by the government well as a as a representative of that demographic i just want to say that no i don't want to be taken care of i don't want that i'm not this this is what again it's this is what conservatives have supposedly been saying forever I'm not a helpless, wilting flower that needs to be taken care of by daddy government. Here's what I want. I want you to stay out of my way and stay out of my wallet. That's what I want. Uncle Sam, that's what I want. That's what I want from you. I want you to get out of the way. I don't want your money, which isn't even your money, but somebody else's. I don't want your help. I don't want your guidance. I don't want your, um, you know, assistance. I don't need you holding my hand. I don't want any of that. I want you to stay out of my way. Okay? That's what I want. Let me take care of it. Let me do it. This should really be, uh, or has been, one of the primary distinctions between conservatism and liberalism. I've long said, and of course I still believe, that the biggest distinction, the most important distinction, is the social and cultural issues, the sort of moral philosophy that uh, defines conservatism, separates it from, from liberalism. But... This is also, this is important too. This is a defining feature too, or it was. Conservatives don't want to be taken care of by the government. They don't want that. They don't want to, they don't want to somewhat hold in their hand. If somebody needs to be taken care of, you know, it, it's families can take care of themselves. Individuals can take care of themselves. Communities can take care of each other. We've completely gotten away from uh, the, the notion of communities taking care of each other. But that's, what, that's why we don't want... That's why it's even worse. It's worst of all is to have the federal government get involved with something like this. You know, it's not even a state law, which would be, which would be, still be an issue. 
but have the federal to bypass all of these levels the individual the family the the community the state and go right to the federal government for something like this that's a huge problem and as long as we have the federal government intruding and getting involved here and saying hey i'm you know coming in like the white knight on the horse saying i'm going to take care of everyone as long as we have that then you're not going to have communities taking care of each other you know i hear this all the time that well we need to have all these nanny state policies because if we don't have them then uh communities won't take care of each other communities are not taking care of each other that's what i hear but number one that's not even true i mean communities do still take care of each other i mean you have you know charities and soup kitchens and everything else most people have families they have friends it's not uncommon at all to, to hear about someone being taken care of by their family or their friends during a hard time. And all of that is great. You know, we should be able to lean on each other in hard times. So that does exist. Not long ago, I was coming out of church and uh, with uh, my family and there was a woman with her kids and uh, she was standing outside the church with a sign and she lived in the community and basically um, she, you know, they lost her job and couldn't pay the rent for their apartment. They were going to lose their apartment if they didn't come up with the money. And so they came to the church and they asked the people, can you help us? Okay. And we did. We did help. So, the, the, you know, the church community helped this woman and that's that's the way it's supposed to go it's a perfect example she didn't go to uncle sam she didn't go to the government she came to us and i think that's the way it's supposed to function and to whatever extent it does not function that way now it's because the federal government gets involved and kind of undercuts or makes people feel um like they don't need to, or they don't have to reach out to their community. And I think it also adds a little bit of whether fairly or unfairly, it adds a little bit of suspicion or, you know, I don't know what the word is resentment or something. It's, it sows that into the community because, you know, when a lot of times when you see someone in a situation like that saying, Oh, you know, hard times, I need money for food. I need money for apartment. A lot of people will say, well, you know, this person's probably already on 15 different government programs and now they're asking for more. Now, as I said, I don't think I don't think it's necessarily fair to make that assumption. But that's what people think. And, you know. There are a lot of government programs out there. I mean, if I am going to help somebody. I want to help somebody who needs help. I don't want to, you know, give somebody some money to buy a meal. Uh that they're then going to go use on booze or drugs because they already have actually a food stamp card and so they're covered for meals. I'm giving someone money for meals. I want them to use it on the meal. And the more that you have these kind of nanny state programs, then the more I think you have what we're talking about here. And I know that paid maternity leave isn't the same thing as food stamps, but it's a, it's a nanny state program and in some ways, it wor- it's worse because of what it would do to employ- employers and what it would do, you know, in the workplace. And that's the other one of the things we have to concentrate on here is that 
in all these examples of the government, quote, taking care of people so nicely, so uh, thoughtfully taking care of people. In all of these examples of that happening, there's always a loser, okay? So the government will come in. Let's take the maternity leave example. The government will come in and say, no, she can't be the loser in this situation. She's going to be the winner. And so she gets to go home and we're going to mandate you got to pay her. And then when she comes back, you got to give her a job back. Well, who's the loser then? Employees, the employers are the losers. If they can't afford it. Uh, if they hire, train someone else to, to take her place, she comes back. Someone gets fired to make room for her. that person's also a loser. So why do they all have to be losers? What about them? And then you just create this, you know, it's kind of like uh, uh, with the prescription drug companies where you have a headache and they prescribe something. You, you take some medicine that, you know, that gives you a side effect and now you have stomach difficulties and you take medicine for the stomach difficulties and now, I don't know, your leg's falling off. I don't know exactly, okay? But there's always a side effect and then there are more drugs to take care of the side effects. And so... It's kind of like that with the federal government, with the nanny state programs, that they come in to address an ill of some kind, to cure an illness, quote unquote, and they create a side effect. And then they need another program to deal with the side effect and so on and so on and so forth, so on a vicious cycle. That's why it's best for the government to stay out of it. I mean, not completely. This, this is why we have the, uh, the Constitution, which outlines the role of the federal government. It's very limited. It's very... Um, you know, condensed. It's much more focused as it's outlined in the Constitution than than, ha- than it has been in, in practice. But I think the government should do all those things that the Constitution says it should do. I'm not an anarchist. But I don't need it setting out to be the white knight. I don't need it taking care of me. That's not in the Constitution. And I think for good reason. Because of the problems it creates. It's going to do it for me. I'll talk to you guys next time. Akruche, Salu, Godspeed, everybody. 